Church, it's good to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend as we gather to worship in this unique way. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good weekend to pause and to remember and reflect uh, upon the, the lives that have touched us that, uh, that no longer can be with us today. And so today we remember with great fondness those that have um, touched our lives uh, and been, been so impactful uh, along our journeys. <clears throat> this week we're in the seventh uh, Sunday of Easter in the lectionary. Uh, and actually this week I got a question from a friend who kind of said, what exactly is a, a lectionary? Explain this to me. Um, the lectionary was first introduced to me by a pastor who used to, to preach from it at the last church I, I served at. Um, and, a, and a lectionary uh, is, is a collection of appointed scripture readings that, that take us through the church calendar year, that, that coincide with the seasons of Advent and Lent and Easter uh, and, and carry us and journey with us through that, um, through that church calendar year, uh, particularly in the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition. Um, you'll find lectionaries. There are all sorts of different types of lectionaries out there. Uh, and if you do a little research or, or dig into that a little bit, you can find all sorts of uh, different rhythms that lectionaries tend to follow. Um, the one that, that we use is called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's been around um, since, I think, the 1960s. Um, so actually not that, not as long as I had thought it was uh, that it had been around. But if you research the, the Revised Common Lectionary, uh, you'll find not only scripture readings um, to base sermons off of on Sundays to get a, a sneak peek of where we're headed, uh, when we're following the lectionary, but they also have daily readings that, that lead you and guide you through uh, much of the text. It's a three-year rhythm that kind of uh, repeats itself and goes over and over again. And so I invite you to do a little research. If you have questions about that, uh, we'd love to, love to answer those before you ask any of the pastoral staff, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, and give you some, some resources there. But for this, the seventh Sunday of Easter, this is the last Sunday of Easter. This is where we conclude uh, this look into the implications of the resurrection. So Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. What are What, what is the outcome? Uh, and today we, we, we culminate this journey. We, we finish this journey, uh, continuing to stay in the book of John, um, chapter 17. So I, I invite you to find a Bible, to pull out a device and point it to John chapter 17. Today we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Reading from the Gospel of John. When Jesus finished saying these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that the son can glorify you. You gave him authority over everyone so that he could give eternal life to everyone you gave him. This is eternal life to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I shared with you before the world was created. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. This is because I gave them the words that you gave me and they received them. They truly 
understood that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me because they're yours. Everything that is mine is yours and everything that is yours is mine. I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, even as I'm coming to you. Holy Father, watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one just as we are one. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Are there any uh, school-aged kids or, or teenagers out there? If, if you're done with school, can you say, summer, yes. <laughs> I don't know about your house, but at my house, the, the Chromebooks have been returned. School is out and summer is officially here. It has arrived. Uh, I, know, I know the kids, kids feel this, but, but for us old folks, do you remember that sense of, of, of anticipation, that, that expectation, uh, realizing that the moment had, has come, that summer is here, you know, the old, old, uh, old rock song, school's out forever. Uh, sorry if that rendition was a little... <laughs> a little off but do you remember that anticipation i think uh as i've grown older i've lost some of the the sense of what it means to be to be done with school for for the school year uh for me as i look at at this passage as i look at this text uh, the the truth is that fulfillment of expectation is really where this passage starts it's happening here for the person of Jesus. We talked about John. We've talked about this book that, that in John, there's no question about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is revealed as the Messiah, as the word of God, the logos of God very early in the gospel, John chapter one, right? Uh, we know it was announced early. And in John chapter 17, Jesus says the word, the time has come. In many translations, it says the hour has come or the hour has arrived. Maybe that's what it says in the translation that you had uh, in front of you. It was announced early who Jesus was, that, that Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was with God in the beginning, even at creation. And here in John 17, Jesus says the time has come. The hour is near. The hour has arrived. And Jesus, Jesus is ready to fulfill his mission. This, this theme of the time is coming has been repeated throughout the gospel. Uh, the time is coming or the hour is coming when these things will come to pass. If you want to do a scavenger hunt, write down these, write down these chapters, okay? Uh, it, it happens in John chapter 2. It happens in John chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8. They all have this phrase, the time is coming or the hour is approaching. Uh, even in John chapter 13, at the beginning of this um, farewell discourse that happens in John, um, I believe it's right at the beginning of chapter 13, even before he washes the disciples' feet, Jesus announces, the time has now come. 
And he reiterates that in chapter 17 in the portion that we read. The the passage that we read divides kind of nicely into three different sections here. Uh, the, the work that Jesus has, has come to do is complete. And he talks about that in the first section. The second section talks about the evidence that's shown in the disciples and the way that they live and, and what they've come to understand faith to be. And the third section is, is a portion of scripture, a beautiful portion where Jesus prays for provision for his disciples that, that he doesn't want them left alone, doesn't want them uh, without support as he is leaving. Well, as we look at these three different passages, these three different sections of this text, uh, I want to take a look at the first five verses uh, just initially. One of the things they teach you about reading scripture and trying to interpret what it says as you, as you go to school to become a pastor is to, to look for literary devices, look for what the author is trying to do. Um, Manley Adams Jr. in his commentary talks about the structure being what's called chiastic or using a chiasmus. Now, I'm not one for big words, uh, but but uh, let me explain what, what a chiasmus is. Um, in order to be a better reader of the Bible, we, we have to understand these patterns. A chiasmus is where the author builds to an important point in the middle of the text by, by framing it with similar thoughts. As you take a look at the, at the passage, verse 1 through 5, um, verses 1 and 5 um, are kind of similar. They talk about um, the, the glorification of the Father and the glorification of the Son. Um, both, both of them kind of have some unity and some parallel there. Verses 2 and 4 uh, are similar, kind of a summary of Jesus' accomplishment and what he was able to do in the world. And then there's verse 3 sitting right in the middle. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life. And this, this is the central verse in this first section, to know God and to know Jesus Christ, the one who was sent. You know, I've, I've talked about this before. Uh, I'm probably going to talk about it again. <laughs> How many of you are, are waiting for eternal life? How, how many of you are, are waiting for that day? We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait that, that our eternal life starts now for those of us who, according to the verse, know God and know Jesus, our eternal life begins now. That there's no waiting, that, that the hour has in fact come, that the kingdom of God is here now, brought by us who choose to walk with God, who choose to be shaped by the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is here now, today, right now, in the body of Christ. Not someday, not something that we have to wait for. We don't have to wait until we die. That Christ is the fulfillment of the coming kingdom of God. And Christ's fulfillment uh, in John is to, is to bring that eternal life now. That's good news. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. That is the gift that we receive 
from Christ. It's what we anticipate. And how do, how do we know this? How do we know that eternal life has come? Look at how Jesus talks about his disciples. Look at, look at how he speaks life and truth into, into his disciples' lives in this second section. Before we do that, let me ask this question. Have you ever received a compliment that you just <laughs> you didn't feel worthy of? You felt like you, you didn't deserve? What's your reaction in those moments? How did you respond? I said, well, thanks. Do uh, you, you try to talk them out of the compliment? Do you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I really deserve that? Do you blush a little bit and kind of sheepishly smile? I think Jesus is bragging on his disciples here in, in this second section. What does he say? He says, um, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. He talks about the disciples being able to, to keep the word of God, to, to receive those words that Christ had been given by the Father and then spoke to them. Do you realize who he's talking to? Do you, do you realize the journey that these disciples are about to make? He's speaking to Peter. He's speaking to Peter, the one who is about ready to chop a guy's ear off in the garden. He's speaking to Peter, who, who will follow him to the courts to, to watch this trial that Jesus has to go through, to, to be a, a, an outside observer, but who will eventually deny him that very night before he's crucified. They're saying about the, he's saying this about the disciples who, who will doubt the resurrection, who won't believe the testimony of the women until Jesus actually appears to them. <laughs> and Thomas, who wasn't there, will say, well, I'll believe it when I see it with my own eyes, when, I, when I'm able to stick my hand into the side of Jesus, then, then I will believe. Have you ever had someone do this for you? who gives you this compliment, who, who believes for you in your, in your lack of faith, in, your, in, in the absence of confidence, someone who's able to speak into your life a vision of who they see you able to become, of who they know you would be able to become. I, I so value some of these people in my life who, who were able, uh, several along my journey, who, who did this, who were able to speak a vision of who they saw me becoming. I see Christ doing this exact thing for his disciples. Christ saying, this is who they will become. This is who they can be. He knew they wouldn't be perfect. He knew that there would be struggles along the way. But I believe he intentionally prayed to the Father. These words, casting a vision of the disciples that they could become, uh, that they had received Christ's words, that they had believed what he had said, not because of, the, uh, of, of anything other than those words that Christ offered them had come from the Father and were now passed on to the disciples who had received them and who had let those words shape and change their lives. And perhaps he, he knew they would face struggles, and so Jesus' prayer doesn't end there. He doesn't stop 
in that moment. It kind of kicks off the main portion of, of Jesus's prayer. As you look at the entirety of chapter 17 in the Gospel of John, you've probably, you've, you've probably seen this prayer before. Uh, for many commentators and, and the, the, the traditional label of this chapter is called the High Priestly Prayer. Have you heard that before? The High Priestly Prayer. It's actually an extremely rare occurrence in the Gospel of John for prayers of Jesus to be recorded. As you take a look through the, the whole Gospel, there's, there's actually only two other prayers recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, there's one in chapter 11 as Lazarus is raised for, from the dead. Before he's raised, uh, Jesus is recorded as, as saying a prayer. There's another one in chapter 12 when the Greeks come looking for, for Jesus. Uh, there's, there's a brief prayer mentioned there. Each one of these prayers is, is, is two verses long. <laughs> two verses long. And this gets the whole of chapter 17. Over 20 verses, I believe, of prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, one of my former professors who wrote a commentary calls it Jesus's intercessory prayer. What a beautiful thing to have recorded for us to, to be passed along for us that Jesus intercedes on behalf of the disciples and those who would follow him. While we don't have time to dig into the whole chapter, uh, this is where Jesus prays for us. It's, and it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. Jesus didn't want us left alone. He didn't want us to, to fret and to worry and to languish and to struggle, to stay put in our faith, but wanted us to grow. And we see this blessing, this reiteration of exactly what we talked about last week from chapter 14, that, that God and Jesus are one. Jesus says, I am in you, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we are one. And, and somehow as we receive what Jesus has taught, these words that were passed from the Father to Jesus, that Jesus said, I, I offered to them, and, and they received, we enter into this intimate and known relationship with God. Not that we're one with God, not that somehow, uh, some metaphysical way we're, we're like God or we become God, but that we get to journey with God. And the provision that we talked about, the Holy Spirit we talked about last week, would come and reside within us, able to nudge us, able to lead us, nudge us towards grace, moving us towards holiness. allowing us to offer forgiveness, making us more and more like Christ each day in our journey. Jesus prays about this time when, when he would leave, and he has now, in fact, left. Set us loose on the world. Set us loose with this message that eternal life can happen now that as we live in the Father, that as we live in Christ, as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we can begin this eternal life. Now, today, bringing the kingdom of God and to proclaim that good news to the world. 
to our neighbors and to our friends and to our families and to loved ones in our lives. But we are not left alone. We are cared for. That Jesus said, don't leave them. Don't let them be on their own, but provide for us each day in all of our needs what God has for us and how the Holy Spirit moves in and speaks to us each day. It's in this prayer, it's in this prayer from God that we see Jesus reaching out in our needs and providing for us and praying for us. I challenge you this week to read through the whole chapter, the whole chapter of John chapter 17 and see the words that Jesus prayed. As we close today, I, I just want to offer Jesus's prayer, verse 11. I want to reread that and pray that as a prayer for all of us. Receive verse 11, the words of Jesus, as I close today. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, even as I'm coming to you. Holy Father, watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one, just as we are one. May it be so in our lives. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.